0: Thank you for joining us today. Whether you are part of the Lighthouse family, be it on-site, with us weekly, or tuning in online, we'd love to connect with you via our social media at Lighthouse Ely. It's on all our social media platforms. I hope this word encourages you and inspires you. Enjoy the message. So this morning, I will be speaking on what's your set piece. Now, as a Christian, we all have set pieces. We set ourselves goals in life of what we want to become and what we want to achieve in life. And sometimes the goals go pear-shaped, especially if God is not involved in the goal that you've created for yourself. And sometimes these goals, you know, at some point, halfway down the goal that you set for yourself or down the set piece that you've, you've set yourself to achieve in life, sometimes halfway into it, you give up. But I'm going to start by reading the book of Philippians chapter 3. Now, in every relationship, sorry, I'm just talking, I'm not, I'm not really reading. Every relationship starts with meeting somebody, and not just meeting the person, but also getting to know the person. There's a meet, there's a greet. And every relationship is defined by the time you spend in our relationship is defined by how well you flow in that relationship. Now, when a guy meets a girl, or when a girl meets a guy, whichever way it goes, you find out that they either meet to end up in marriage, or they either meet to, to, to go apart. So that process, that time space where you meet with somebody, and the person meets with you, and you begin to understand each other you begin to understand what makes this person tick what, what makes this person different what kind of coffee does this person like do they like tea in their do they like milk in their coffee or do they like black coffee do they want two sugars or do they want just one do they like brown sugar or white sugar or all the sugars you know what i mean yeah so you you at that process you begin to understand this person's thing as in what this person is into oh does this person like to dress well Or are they a casual kind of person? Are they slow speakers or slow talkers? Or are they very fast in their talking? You know, but in the case of Paul, Paul's case was different. And the fact that Paul traveled all his life studying so many things as a lawyer and all the things that he achieved in life. But he got to a point in his life where Paul said to himself that, you know what? I have all this achievement listed and tabled. But really, who am I? Anyway, let's go from verse one, um, Philippians three, from verse one. For the rest, my brethren, delight yourself in the Lord and continue to rejoice that you that you are in Him. To keep writing to you, love over and over, of the same thing is not, is not irksome to me. And it is a precaution for your safety. Look out for those dogs, juderizers, legalists. Look out for those chief makers. Look out for those who, um, who mutilate the flesh. Now, if I stop there... The Jewish people believe that, believe in two things. They only believe in the, um, the circumcision of the flesh. But Paul here is also referring to the circumcision of the spirit, which is what you find in Romans 2 verse 29. You know, they believe in that, okay, things need to go this way and that way. That things can't go this way. They believe that, you know, when you come to the house of God, you need to pray aloud how things are done. They believe in the in the fleshy ordinance of the church and not the spiritual aspect of it. So they believe that for you to be called to be called a Christian, you need to be circumcised in the flesh. You know what I mean by being circumcised in the flesh. If you know, say I. Thank you. So, but Paul is not just referring only to the circumcision of the flesh, he's also referring to the circumcision of the spirit. This is when you and I lay everything down and let God, you know, completely, you know, cleanse us from top to bottom. The Bible says that our, uh, our righteousness is as a filter right before God, but, you know, God's righteousness overshadows our righteousness. So God sees Jesus' righteousness in us, not our own righteousness. Now, our own righteousness in the sense that, oh, well, okay, let me give for example. I always come to church very early every Sunday morning. I clean the church. Nobody knows I clean the church. Oh, I read my Bible 10 times a day. Now, that is self-righteousness. Now, you begin to ask yourself, Is that what Paul meant in this place? No. Your self-righteousness does not depict your knowledge of Christ. It just depicts that you are so into yourself and so proud of yourself and letting pride grow roots into you. And at the end of the day, you find yourself not actually dwelling in what Christ has called you to dwell in. So if I carry on, he says, verse 3, For we Christians are the true circumcision. That's Paul trying to explain it there who worship God in spirit and by the the spirit of God and exalt and glory and pride ourselves in Jesus Christ and put no confidence or dependence on what we are in the flesh and on outward um, privileges and physical advantages and external appearance. Though for myself, I have at least grounds to rely on the flesh. If any other man considers that he has or seem to have reason to rely on the flesh and his physical and outward advantage, I have still more. Circumcised when I was eight. He was circumcised when he was eight. Now this is Paul trying to give us his, his, um, his resume. Now, from five, he tells us that he circumcised when he was eight. That's his religious achievement. Then he goes on to say, then he say of the race of Israel, which is his ethnic, his ethnic identity. And he goes on to say, of the tribe of Benjamin, his ancestral identity. A Hebrew and the son of a Hebrew. He goes on to say that, and as of the observer of the law, his academic achievement, I was of the party of the Pharisee, that is his um, political achievement or religious um, elevation. And the spiritual and moral resurrection, oh, sorry, six, he says, as for my zeal, I was a persecutor of the church and by the law, a standard of righteous, righteousness so this is Paul telling us about you know he had this personality of you know hating Christians and wanting to really really destroy Christians so he was just out to destroy Christians. and he goes on to say in verse 7 but whatever were gain to me I now consider loss for the sake of Christ so all his achievements all he's done in life, in all the apostles, it is Paul that has achieved the most. But he looked at all this achievement, he, he tabled them down, listed them down in the Bible, and found out that, that do you know what, I'm actually nothing, to be honest, with all this achievement. Then he says, what is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ, Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things, I consider them garbage, that I may gain Christ. Nine, and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is true faith in Christ. The righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ. Now, this is where I'm going to, my messages. is um, my Message has been scripted from. I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and, partic- and participation of his suffering, becoming like him in death. 11. And so, somehow, attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Now, I'll start by saying, I, I kind of asked myself, what is the set piece? And I looked, at, I looked up the dictionary, it says, it's a part of a film, a play, etc. This is exciting and attracts attention. Something exciting that attracts attention. Now, Paul achieved all this, but there was also something missing. Now, with all your achievements academic achievements, marital achievements, all the achievements you have is there something missing? When I started reading this particular passage, I started, I started kind of, you know, taking stock of my life and asking myself, what is really missing? You know, one would think that with all that Paul has attained in life as a Christian, that he knew who Christ, he knew his, his God. But it just shows that no matter how much we try to, um, we try to hide behind the, um, the ideology of, okay, um, I'm fine, I come to church, I come from a Christian family. My parents teach me to pray. They teach me to read the Bible. It is what more than that. It is the mentality that we grew up with, especially we from Christian homes. There are a lot of us here that did not grow up from that did not have that privilege to grow up from a Christian home or a Christian family. So you are working even twice as hard to be able to get to that point where you know who this God they're talking about is. so what Paul actually experienced or talking about here is the the experiential knowledge of who Christ is if you haven't experienced him then you have every reason to nothing should keep you Paul wanted to know that this God that I serve I have done all this but There is something to it. There is is something that is missing. Something is missing. There is a void in me that, that needs feeling. Now, I could have titled this message, My Set Piece, but no. Paul personalized it. He actually personalized his set piece. Like that I may know him. That I may know the power of his resurrection. According to um, Acts chapter 9, verse 1 to 6, um, Acts chapter 9, I'm just summarizing this. It says, who are you? You know, this is when Paul was going to the, um, on the road to Damascus where he wanted to go kill the Christians. Now, his experience was different, and so are our experiences with, with Christ. Now, he was telling the people that my experience of who Christ is is far different from what I think your experience is. And his experience was what he went through in the road of Damascus. So verse 10 tells us that there were things that Paul wanted to know was the person of Jesus Christ, the power of Jesus Christ, and the pain of Jesus Christ, and lastly, the promise. I call them the four Ps. Paul did not consider himself to have known the person of Christ. According to um, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, 10-13, to 13, you know, the person, a person is known by the Spirit. This is when we're led by the Spirit of the Lord. The experiential knowledge that you and I require is it's something that we need to hunger and thirst after. It's not something that just comes to us like that. You must hunger and thirst for it. That I may know him. This was the simple plea of Paul's heart. It was a plea unknown to the legalists. Now the legalists are those Jewish people who I call them um, um, the, um, the Jewish lawmakers. They believe in things have you need to be circumcised, like I said earlier on. Who must necessarily focus on his own performance and status to find some kind of peace with God? But Paul wanted Jesus not to himself alone. He he didn't just want to know Jesus for himself. He wanted to know Jesus more. The hunger and thirst for more. He says, therefore, I urge you, brethren and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. He said, do not be confirmed to the pattern of this world. The pattern of this world will stop you from wanting to have that experiential knowledge of God. The system of the world is so patterned that we can, be, we can easily drift into it without even realizing. The culture will just suck us into it and, 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 and it will make us begin to see things in a cultural perspective instead of in a heavenly and godly perspective. Now, we have been so drowned with the system of the world that, you know, we just, we struggle to even spend five seconds with God. We, we struggle to even pray. The Bible says men ought always to pray and not to faint. He says we can say that we know someone because we recognize him. Now, if somebody walks up to you in the street and say to you, do you know Jesus? It will just come as a big blow to you, isn't it? You have that initial shock in your, oh, um, uh, yeah, you might become hesitant in answering the question. But when you know Jesus for yourself, then when somebody says to you, do you know Jesus, then you're able to boldly say. You're able to say it without, without fear, without favor, without, without thinking about what the person on the other side is going to say to you. There is power in knowing this Christ. And it distinguishes you from the person that does not know this Christ. It says, and the power of his resurrection. Knowing Jesus means knowing his power. Now, the power of resurrection is different from the normal power when somebody raises up from the dead. When Jesus raised up Lazarus from the dead, it wasn't the same power that raised him from the dead because he is God. So he's the power and he he was raised from dead. But Lazarus, Lazarus being raised from dead, like I said, it's not the same power. It's a different scenario, but it's all about death. Now he has the power, the power is built in him. But Lazarus did not have the power in him. key is knowing the power you know that's why bible says in john chapter 3 verse 30 says that god should increase and and that i may decrease the power is knowing the power of his resurrection is getting to surrender to christ it is not a shame to give your life to christ it's not a shame to surrender it's not a shame to admit to god that i don't know you I only know you by what my parents told me when I was growing up. I only know you by what my teachers taught me in Sunday school. I only know you by what I hear people say, um, preachers preach on TV. But I don't really know you like I think I do. You need to have that intimate relationship with him. You need to be able to hear him speak to you. You need to be able to hear him say, don't follow that path. Go through the other path. Because he sees what's ahead of you in that path. So he decides to say, okay, move to the other path. The power of his resurrection, he says here that, um, Charles Spurgeon says, I do not think, however, that Paul is here thinking so much of the power displayed in the resurrection, as of the power which comes out of it, which may most um, properly be called the power of his resurrection. This the apostle desired to apprehend and to know. Paul was intrigued to know, what is, what is it exactly that is behind this power that raised up Christ from the dead? What, what do I need to do to attain this, to, to gain this power, to receive this power of resurrection? What have I achieved or what, do, what steps do I need to take? I know this Christ was resurrected from the dead, but what do I need to do? The power of his resurrection is a life-giving power. Power gives life, and that is the power that gave life to Lazarus. That is the same power that will give life to every dead thing in your life. That is the same power that will transform you from inside out. That is the same power that will break every addiction, every, every sickness, disease, and infirmity that you think you have. That is the same power that will bring you out of darkness into light. It means that those who are connected with Jesus Christ receive the same resurrection power. Are you connected? Do you think you are? Or do you know you are? Or do you imagine you are? Or are you thinking or saying to yourself or reminiscing that you are? Is a question you need to ask yourself. And the fellowship of his suffering. You know what? When I first gave my life to Christ, um, the first thing the pastor then back home said to me, That you do know that when you give your life to Christ, when you become a Christian, that you know you face a lot of challenges. I didn't know that. I thought, man, being a Christian, man, is like, you know, driving on a motorway 100 miles an hour and you're fine. But no, there are obstacles even when you drive through that motorway. There are a lot of obstacles on that road. And the obstacles are the challenges you face as a Christian. A lot of us want to become Christian. But we don't want to face the challenges that comes as a Christian. We want it all like you know, nice and dandy. I'm fine. I'm cool. But when the temptation comes, when the hurdle comes, when the obstacle comes, we're like, no, that's not what I've gained for. That's not what I'm. That's not what this is about. The sacrifice is the pain that you go through as a Christian. The pain that you go through. The fellowship of his suffering when you're in pain you worship in your pain you come to know him in your pain let it be your fellowship let your fellowship be that time you bring the pain to God you worship God with your pain what is that one thing you want to change in your life as a Christian And he goes on to say that, and the fellowship of his suffering. Nobody wants to suffer as a Christian, but he gives us the grace to overcome. So this morning, church, do you think you know him? Do you think you know him? Do you think that you have completely surrendered to him? Do you think it's all about you or do you think it's all about him? You ask yourself, what's my set piece? What's your set piece? Paul had it there, that I may know him, the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his suffering. Those three things. Where do you fit in to those three things? Are those three things eminent and evident in your life as a Christian? I asked myself the same question when I was studying this. I said, do I really have those three things? The good thing about standing up here to preach is the fact that you're preaching to people and you're also preaching to yourself, which is very good. You're also putting yourself in check. So I say to us this morning, it is not a shame to give your life to Christ. And I want to use this opportunity to give you, I want to use this opportunity to ask that If you want to give your life to Christ, please bow your head down and let's pray. Please do not be ashamed. There is nothing shameful about knowing Christ. There is nothing shameful about giving your life to Christ. Are you ready to experience the power of his resurrection? Are you ready to know him? Are you ready to go through the fellowship of his suffering? Can I have the band up, please? Heavenly Father, I pray for us many that their heads are bowed, Lord, to in surrender to you, Jesus. I ask you, Father God, Lord, I ask you to come into their life, Lord. Can we pray this together as a church? Lord Jesus, coming to my life. Fill me, Lord. Forgive my sins, Lord. Lord Jesus, I want to know you. The power of your resurrection. The fellowship of your suffering. Lord Jesus, I open up my heart to you, Lord. And I ask you, Father God, would you please fill me, Lord, with the knowledge of knowing you more the hunger and thirst to know you more. I thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Dear Lord, I just thank you for this time, the service today, Lord. I thank you for your word. I ask that you will put in our hearts, Lord, our set peace, that we we'll all live here, Lord, knowing that you are the God that directs every set peace and we cannot do it on our own but we depend on you, Jesus. Thank you, Father God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.